18 former NBA players were indicted Thursday for allegedly defrauding the league's health care plan by submitting fake medical claims worth millions of dollars. Ho ho wow! Welcome to Broken Jumper! We're talking about criminals today, or accused criminals. But excuse me for one moment, I need to go get 17 crowns. And it'll take me pro- I, no more than 30 seconds. Just listen to the open. I'll be back after receiving completely valid medical treatments. When you don't draw iron, Simmons, an open three, air ball. They just don't have any touch. This is Broken Jumper, a weekly NBA podcast hosted by the voice of AM570 LA Sports, Bob Schmidt. Me, Bob Schmidt. What a narcissistic buffoon he is. Like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. And now, is this basketball? Broken Jumper. Welcome to Broken Jumper. I am Bob Schmidt, the host, the voice of AM570 LA Sports, here with my weekly NBA podcast. And what do we have here? 18 former NBA players charged with conspiracy to commit healthcare fraud and wire fraud. This story came out this week, and I don't know how much attention it's really going to be paid because there aren't any stars to headline this. Possibly the biggest player involved in this entire thing, Glenn Davis, big baby. Got more attention mainly because he was a fat guy trying to play basketball. Kevin Garnett tried to break him emotionally, etc., etc. But on this list of 18 guys, let's just get to the meat of this. Here's what supposedly happened. 18 players in total, mostly led by one guy, Terrence Williams, came up with a scheme to defraud the NBA after submitting fraudulent claims for services, mostly of the dental or chiropractic variety, which they never did in fact receive. What happened at some point, according to the documents, is that around 2017, Terrence Williams, former Louisville player, former Rick Pitino player, so perhaps not foreign to trying to circumvent the rules for one's own benefit, supposedly submitted a claim for medical treatments that he never received and was reimbursed from the NBA's supplemental benefit program, which all players who play for three or more years are eligible for. Enter Terrence Williams, who was accused of around November of 2017 submitting fraudulent claims to the plan seeking reimbursement for $19,000. And the plan, in fact, paid out over $7,500 to Williams for what they say now were false and fraudulent claims. Let's hear from U.S. Attorney Audrey Strauss directly. The 19 charged defendants submitted approximately $3.9 million in false claims. The plan paid out $2.5 million to the defendants. And Williams received approximately $230,000 in kickbacks. First off, I apologize for the quality of that audio. Not ideal, I realize. But hopefully, you heard the gist, which was two hundred thirty grand in kickbacks, which is substantial, considering Terrence Williams' final year salary was just shy of $300,000 with the Celtics. The first thing I asked myself when I saw the news was, well, what got them caught? And I think that's what everybody was most curious about. And when you read the indictment paperwork, it is a litany of screw-ups that Terrence Williams, if you're going to defraud, 
your health insurance. They did not commit any time at all. I would think that if I'm going to rip off a bunch of people, I'm going to be a bit of a control freak and a micromanager. But it almost reads like Terrence Williams or whoever else was involved on his end would send these template documents to these former NBA guys and say, okay, well, put your name and personal information on here, but here's the structure. And then these guys would fill out their name, but they might not have changed any of the structure of the document. It's the only conceivable way that multiple guys could submit invoices for medical treatments they received and have them be the same treatments on the same dates for the same exact number of teeth. Like, for example, Big Baby, Tony Roten, and Tony Allen, they duplicated procedures multiple times. They all said they got root canals on the same six teeth in April of 2016. Then they all said they had crowns on the same six teeth in May of 2016. Who does that? Even as a kid, when you would cheat on tests, you would change a couple of the answers because you didn't want people to know that you just straight up were staring at the smart person's paper next to you. It's the laziest form of cheating, and one that should be ingrained in all of us who have cheated in various ways over the years. I guess what I'm saying is, in my day, we would have cheated way better. And it gets even better, because you look at some of the specifics. Roten and Allen overlapped the root canal thing on the same 13 teeth in 2018. Davis, same date, same procedure, but he knocked four teeth off. Said, "Ah, I had a root canal, but I only did it to nine teeth. Then... Roten and Allen said they had crowns on the same 12 teeth in October of 2018. Davis, knock four off. That's the process, right? I just subtract four. I had it done to eight teeth. Of course these guys got caught, but they weren't the only ones who got sloppy. Allegedly. Again, this is all alleged. Maybe none of these guys did anything. I want to make that clear. These are allegations and innocent until proven guilty, like our boy Supreme Bay, formerly known as Chris Douglas Roberts, has reiterated on Twitter. Cap, it's not true and the truth will come to light, etc., etc. But until then, I'm just talking about what was laid out in the indictment. Greg Smith, former Fresno State player, spent five seasons in the league, mostly with the Houston Rockets. He filed a claim for $50,000 of root canals in December of 2018. Problem was, Greg Smith was in Taiwan then, playing basketball abroad, which can be proven with the box scores and footage of the games, etc. So, Probably, that's probably not a legitimate claim. Then, Big Baby said that he got eight crowns in 2018, submitted a claim for $27,000, allegedly. His phone geotracking showed that he was in Nevada, in Utah on that date, and he had booked a flight where he flew from Vegas to Paris. His dentist's office was in Beverly Hills. Then we have old Milt Palaccio and Melvin Eli, who submitted claims in excess of $350,000. Problem was, they submitted claims with the same exact invoice numbers, the same service dates, the same treatments, and the same dollar amounts. The only thing that was changed was Milt Palaccio's name became Melvin Eli. How did they think they would not get caught? And maybe they just had no communication between them, but I want to know what I really hope comes out in court is what did Terrence Williams get to see before it was submitted? Because if he was sending them these template sheets and they just had to plug in their personal information, did he not make it clear to them that, guys, the medical procedures I'm writing on this and the dates, those are just an example. 
I don't want you to submit a form saying that you all got root canals on October 12th of 2018 for the same exact 12 teeth. Of course that's going to get them caught. I hope those kickbacks were worth it, if they did in fact happen, but again, alleged. Our man Chris Douglas Roberts has apparently changed his name, because while everybody else who was accused, the 18 players and the wife of Tony Allen, all the people that were laid out in this indictment paperwork, one guy got an AKA where he was listed as another name, and that was Chris Douglas Roberts, a.k.a. Supreme Bay. I guess I didn't realize that Chris Douglas Roberts now goes by Supreme Bay. And so I looked that story up. I jumped in that wormhole, and I stumbled upon this doozy of a quote from our man CDR. He said, and I quote, I've been Supreme. This is who I was before I got here. Supreme is my true self. CDR was just someone who I was until I discovered myself. Now this is my soul speaking. I'm a being of light, love, and knowledge. Before, just a body and a voice, we're souls. The body's just a vessel we use for this time being on this planet. Truly enlightened words from Supreme Bay, formerly Chris Douglas Roberts, although it is very ironic now to hear him talking about the body being a vessel, etc., etc., and then seeing him being accused of defrauding a health insurance plan for various treatments done on said vessel. But Supreme Bay makes an appearance again in the section of the indictment that has to do with identity theft. Because while they detail a lot of people who paid out kickbacks to Terrence Williams for helping facilitate this scheme, Supreme Bay put his foot down and was not willing to pay a kickback, at which point, and again, this is all alleged, Terrence Williams, with a burner email account, tried to frighten him into re-engaging with Terrence Williams by saying that the claim had the same invoice numbers as another claim and that he risked the claim being voided and having to pay back the plan. All that was in hopes of getting Chris Douglas Roberts, Supreme Bay, to eventually pay the kickback. Well, it did not happen. And then the whole thing just toppled. This scheme from 2017 to 2019 or early 2020, according to some of the grifts laid out in this thing, now lands 18 people in hot water, 19 if you count Tony Allen's wife. I will say, though, independently of this story and who knows what's true and what's not, and court will sort all that out, I feel like Tony Allen is not getting the respect he's due. This story, all I ever see is Big Baby Davis mentioned. Almost no mention of Terrence Williams, the guy at the center of the whole thing. And nothing about Tony Allen, who is way better and had a way more impactful career than Big Baby Davis. Three-time first-team All-NBA defense versus morbidly obese guy. And he made it a family affair, allegedly. Tony Allen should be offended. His legacy should have made him the face of this story, and instead he's just buried in the back. And they keep calling him Anthony Allen. Call him Tony Allen. Or why doesn't he get an AKA the Grindfather? Supreme Bay? That's a stupid nickname. The Grindfather? Awesome. Or how about this? The Grifffather. Switch it up. I hope he gets to court and he defends himself. That would be the most baller move of all time. Broken Jumper. Broken Jumper Breaker, back with Ben Simmons talk. So his holdout drags on, and more has come to light in terms of the $8.25 million being held in an escrow account. It won't be recoverable, so Ben Simmons, if he continues this holdout, will lose all that money, regardless of whether he's traded at some point or not. Sham Sarania saying that Simmons has cleaned out his place, he's planning to put his house up for sale in Philadelphia, and the Sixers were rebuffed by Portland when they asked for three first-round picks, three first-round pick swaps, and C.J. McCollum. 
Now, I don't know when that offer was made or when it was rejected, but I think we can all agree at this point, there is no chance the Sixers are going to get a deal with that many draft assets attached. I agree. On a surface level, I would probably want more than C.J. McCollum for Ben Simmons. Not because I think that C.J. is a bad player. He's excellent. But he is paid handsomely, and he's 30. So he's probably starting to approach that point in his career where his ascent is in all likelihood done. He had an excellent year last year. Shot over 40% from three. A shooting guard that shoots nearly 46% from the floor. That's fantastic. And he fills out the stat sheet. Averaged almost five assists a game, 23 points a game. He's 30. He's on a big deal, but he's a productive player. And the Sixers, while they may be younger across their roster than CJ for the most part, they still they have plenty of veterans there. Danny Green, Tobias Harris, they've been around for a bit. Harris is close to turning 30. They could take him on if they felt like that would push them over the top. But the rub is on the draft compensation. There are zero packages being tossed about realistically that focus on that many draft assets. Even the ones involving Minnesota, they would involve taking on D'Angelo Russell, but I've seen nothing to suggest that they would give up multiple picks. What team is giving up three first-round picks and a player that's a productive, very good player? I definitely don't see it from Portland. I don't see it from Cleveland. Their picks are too valuable. Minnesota, maybe. They have that added leverage of needing to keep Carl Anthony Towns happy. And with D'Angelo Russell co-signing Kyrie Irving's statements about the vaccination, who knows? I know supposedly Carl Anthony Towns and Russell are the best of friends, but I can't imagine he was too pleased with that development. More to the point, the money that Russell's making necessitates that he's going to be included in any deal. I just don't know how much more the Timberwolves would give because they do seem to be the one who, at least based on media reports, are the most desperate to get a player of Simmons' caliber. Doing that might appease Carl Anthony Towns, which is almost like acquiring two superstars in that way. Even on the non-contenders like Minnesota and Cleveland and Indiana to some extent, although they're better than both those teams significantly, sending more than two first-round picks seems extremely risky to me. Even if, in the case of the Pacers, Brogdon is coming up on another payday, and so maybe that diminishes his actual value to them over what it should be for his actual production on the court because he's an excellent player. One or two first-round picks is the most I see anybody giving. Three first-rounders and three swaps, that's Harden-level compensation for a guy who won't even show up. You don't have that kind of leverage. Windhurst has suggested that the Pacers might be interested in a deal that would send Malcolm Brogdon as the centerpiece with possibly TJ Warren, and I would love that deal if I'm the Sixers. But if I'm the Pacers, I'm not adding a bunch of draft compensation to that either. Malcolm Brogdon is an excellent point guard, and he's an excellent two-way point guard. He might not be the defender that Simmons is, but he's a damn good defender, and he's excellent offensively, a very, very efficient guy, a 50-40-90 type player. TJ Warren, he can score. You might have his questions about health, but he certainly has shown the ability to score in bunches. So you'd be getting two players for one, and whatever draft assets they're looking to send back, if that is in fact something that the Pacers are willing to do, which they might consider because Brogdon is coming up on the end of his deal and he's approaching 30, so they'd have to decide what kind of money they want to commit to him long-term, whereas Ben Simmons is tied in for another $147 million over the next four years, so certainly he'd be there for the long haul, assuming he's willing to report. 
It is funny, though, to think that Ben Simmons is unhappy in Philadelphia, but will love being the centerpiece in Indiana, of all places. It would be interesting to know what he would think about a situation where he has yet another big man in Sabonis, who facilitates quite a bit and has the ball in his hands quite a bit and creates a lot for other guys. I mean, if he doesn't like playing with Embiid, who is a very ball-dominant and just generally dominant big, then I'm curious how he would feel about Sabonis being part of their long-term plans. I mean, you make that deal. You could roll the dice there. But personally, I think Brogdon is criminally underrated, especially if you consider that they want multiple first-round picks back in addition to it. The Pacers are one of those teams that are on the fringe where they have a lot of talent, but I would not be giving up my draft assets because they're going to float in that spot like where they did this year, where they got Duarte in the late lottery. If they don't make significant improvements with this core, those picks could turn out to be pretty valuable. They're not the clear-cut contender that can just flip first-round picks and not have to worry about it. Portland is much closer to that. Well, maybe with a few tweaks and with bringing Larry Nash Jr. in, they might be in contention and they can move their first-round picks, but they've already moved a significant amount of them. Point being, I don't think the Sixers are going to find it very easy at all, whether they're going to contenders, whether they're going to the lotto teams, the Cavaliers, the Timberwolves, to try to get three first-round picks out of them. He's not James Harden, and he's not Anthony Davis. This is a guy with a lot more baggage, and the way he's handling this is, I didn't think the way James Harden handled it in Houston was good, but God, he's making James Harden look like a choir boy compared to what Ben Simmons is doing right now. So speaking of guys still absent from camp, Wiggins is back. He got vaccinated. He caved mighty quick. He collapsed like a cheap tent, whereas Kyrie Irving, no, he is holding firm, and we don't really know what's going on with him because, again, he's not commenting. On last night, one of the preseason games, Jeff Van Gundy had some comments in regards to the vaccination guys and the guys who were missing basketball. Just in general, you know the one that drives me crazy is? What's that? I'm doing my own research. I would like someone to answer this question. What does that look like? You doing your own research. Are you doing studies yourself? Are you in the lab on a nightly basis? What are you doing? I don't understand what that means. I'm doing my own research. How about this? We got really smart people, a lot smarter than anybody in the NBA who's already done the research. He wasn't talking about anyone specifically. Of course, Kyrie falls into that 5% of NBA players who aren't vaccinated. Clearly the most high-profile one left. Bradley Beal is up there amongst those people. But way more attention gets paid to Kyrie because, of course, he's not allowed to play in the home games in his home arena. And he's been listed as ineligible for these games that he's going to miss. But the Nets continue to project a position of, well, we're confident it's all going to work out. I don't know what it's based on. The Nets still could very well make it to the finals or win the finals, even without Kyrie. They were so close to defeating the Bucs last year. They've added pieces. I think even independent of Kyrie being on the roster, you could look at what they have now versus what they have last year and say that it's a better team. And Cam Thomas looks fantastic. He was the best rookie during summer league, put up crazy numbers, averaged in the high 20 points a game and was a volume scorer. And certainly he won't be asked to do that on the NBA level, but it's a nice luxury to have. And even in the first preseason game, he dropped 21 points. They brought in Patty Mills. They have Cam Thomas. They still have Joe Harris, who could probably do more if he's asked to, being that he's a luxury fourth option at the moment. And in the front court, they added Millsap. They switched out DeAndre Jordan and instead bring in LaMarcus Aldridge. They drafted Sharp in the first round, and they get whatever improvement they see from Claxton. 
Does it even make sense for them to continue to have this storyline dragged out with all this uncertainty? Is it better for them to just shut him down altogether until there's some resolution? Do you want a guy who can only play in your away games? The Nets are still a roster that's going to win a ton of games in the regular season, even with no Kyrie. I wonder if the Nets won't just shut him down until there's some resolution on this situation that comes in the form of relaxed mandates or a definitive, I'm going to get vaccinated, or whatever the case may be. Kyrie isn't Wiggins. Wiggins caved, but Wiggins was clearly exceptionally defensive at media day already, so I don't know that he was as confident in his rationale behind why he didn't want to get the vaccine, which seemed to be a lot of side effects related stuff. Meanwhile, Kyrie, normally a very verbal person, has maybe he's learning over the course of time that less Kyrie is more Kyrie, and maybe it's better to not verbalize your rationale behind things because that's what brought us, well, of course, the famous flat earth comments. Perhaps just better to keep your opinions on vaccinations internal. However, it's going to be hard to do since it's leading to you missing 41 games and possibly all your home playoff games at this point. As of now, no resolution, but who knows? Perhaps by the next broken jumper, Ben Simmons will have a new home and Kyrie Irving will have decided to bless us all with his opinions on vaccinations and or maybe just return to the team. There's that too. But to the actual basketball court, speaking of these vaccination guys, one of the more prominent ones, Michael Porter Jr. in Denver, who last year suggested that the vaccination is a form of population control. Brilliant insight from our man, who's also a brilliant basketball player. And he is amongst the leading favorites to win most improved player of the year this year. I wanted to look at this list and make my own personal prediction. Now, at the top, it depends what book you go to, obviously. The three favorites this year at the top of most lists are Michael Porter Jr., Zion Williamson, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Now, I personally don't understand how Zion would win most improved player. He averaged 27 points a game last year. What is his ceiling? Do we think he's going to do 35 points a game? Because he would have to have a statistically ridiculous year to do better than a season in which he averaged 27 points on over 60% from the floor. Do I think he could do better than last season? Sure. But do I think he could do better to the degree that he would win most improved player? Probably not. Michael Porter Jr. is the perfect candidate, mainly because Jamal Murray got hurt and he blew up last year. So coming into a season where he's going to be the second option in that offense behind Jokic, he's completely capable of scoring mid-20 points per game. Because he has it all. He has size. He can play inside. He's one of the best spot-up three-point shooters from a forward spot that we have in the league already. The only thing potentially holding him back is health and seeing what his role will be upon Jamal Murray's return. So those three, in any order, if I was to handicap most improved player, Michael Porter Jr., I would put before Shea or Zion simply because I think Shea and Zion, they did too good last year to be able to substantially improve upon the numbers that they put up. And while they may be listed in the top three, I like the fourth guy better than both Zion and Shea Gilgis to win the award, and that's Kevin Porter Jr. Kevin Porter Jr. is the perfect candidate for a breakout season because after getting dumped for nothing last year by the Cleveland Cavaliers because of a locker room temper tantrum, he proceeded to blow up in Houston scoring 50 points in a game, one of only four guys to do that at his age or less of 20 years old. LeBron, of course, being one of the other ones. But there's another turd in there. You know who it is, listeners? 
Brandon Knight. He also dropped 50 points, now out of the league. So it's not like it guarantees that you'll be a star. But certainly, he has all the physical tools. He had a great media day showing, I thought. And I fully expect in a situation like Houston, where again, he has every chance to be showcased alongside Jalen Green, that's the type of a guy who could put a full season together of some truly impressive counting stats that would see him vault up much higher in the most improved player voting. Zach Levine's on this list. Sexton is on this list. Christian Wood is on this list. Again, I think they accomplished too much. Levine especially accomplished too much last year, scoring at the level that he did on the efficiency that he did and going to the All-Star game. Those are guys that, what do they have to do in order to win this award? Because the idea that they can make a massive statistical leap seems unlikely to me. Now, Jaron Jackson Jr., He's plus 1,600. He's not exactly near the top of the list, but after missing almost all of last season with injuries, he's another guy who's playing for an extension who I could see having an incredible statistical year because now is exactly the time you want to put forth full effort and try to get paid on that next contract. And while the extension may happen before, I could see him breaking out and being right there rivaling guys like Michael Porter Jr., like Kevin Porter Jr., my top three, it would be Michael Porter Jr., then I would say Jaron Jackson Jr., and then I would say Kevin Porter Jr. in that order. So basically, if you don't have Jr. in your name, you're not winning most improved player this year. So says I, let it be written. So that's Broken Jumper for this week. I am Bob Schmidt, the voice of AM570 LA Sports. Please, if you like the podcast, subscribe and leave a review if you're so inclined. You can follow me on social media at Broken Jumper or at Broken Jumper Pod on Twitter. And yeah, I'll be back with another episode next week. NBA basketball right around the corner, at which point we really turn this thing up. That's it. No more Broken Jumper. No. No. Download past episodes you missed and like and subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. Go to the iHeartRadio app. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Broken Jumper. And tune in weekly for more NBA coverage.